dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. The life of Christians is governed by the truth contained in Scripture, and this is especially true for leadership, which is why it's so important for us to study the parables of Jesus. In the parables, we hear that leadership comes from God and also receive valuable lessons about what to avoid in order to not allow our leadership to become too worldly and what to do in order to make our leadership as spiritual as possible. The parables of Jesus are as timely today as they were when he first spoke them. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm glad to be with you again. We're doing our second of three parts today on the parables of Jesus on leadership. And I think it's awesome to go back to the word of God and listen to what God himself has to tell us because there's no better source, right? In the end, all of us are following someone and we're listening to someone about the truth. It could be our philosophy teacher in school. It could be our our coach from the soccer team. It could be our best friend next door, you know, like the Mr. Wilson of that television show we used to watch, right? Like truth comes to us in many different forms. And it's important for us to be able to analyze is the truth we're listening to accurate and reliable for our lives? I mean, if we're just consuming the media, for example, and consuming what the news industry puts out there for us, it's amazing how much trust we put in those people, isn't it? I mean, isn't it amazing? You, you listen to them and, and you say, okay, they must know because they're dressed, you know, well and they, they speak off of a script and, you know, and they're given this position to, to supposedly know all things. And actually, you know, you can tell that they don't. You know, that they, they, they're getting their script from someone who's written it for them. They have a whole team and staff of people who make them look good and then they, they sit there and then they opine based upon what their staff and what their news agency tells them to say. So of course, this is really interesting and, and it's not a bad thing, but if I, if I really put myself down there, if I'm following what I'm hearing from any kind of source in the world, why wouldn't I follow what I hear from the Bible? Why wouldn't I follow what I hear from God and from his church, right? And this is exactly what we do when we read our Bibles. The Bible is the inspired and infallible word of God. Inspired means it comes from God, who is its primary author. And infallible means it contains no errors, right? So now obviously you have to have an interpretive lens when you read the Bible. And, and that's what our Catholic tradition gives us. Just like, you know, anyone who's going to come from any denomination is going to have a certain way of looking at it. And that's a fine thing. But in the end, the written text governs what we do. The written text is the outline for the Christian faith, and it gives us an objective norm by which we are able to make decisions and find the truth about our life in a way that's supreme because it comes from God. Now, I, I love putting that out there because it's just so important for us in a world where truth seems to vacillate back and forth 
to remember that not only can we, can we think well if we really try and reach truth by our reason, but also we can use Scripture to rely on as God teaching us what we are supposed to do. Okay, so this is what's great about the parables is that in the parables of Jesus, he makes it even easier, right? It's, it's not even just like he wrote the book down. <laughs> he sent his son to teach us and his son taught us in parables. So reading the parables is, is a great spot for us to feed on what the message of Jesus is for what we're trying to accomplish in our lives. Right? So I want to take a look especially at three of them today. Uh, this is the second of a three-part, you know, class we're doing. The first was just, first class was talking to us about the fact that, in fact, leadership comes from God, right? So we understand that. This second class, I want to focus in on three warnings that Jesus gives us. And these three warnings will wake us up a little bit, that's to be sure, because they're, they're definitely strong warnings. It's three different parables where Jesus basically points out that if we're not careful, our leadership will become worldly. And that he does not want his Christians to lead in a way that's dominated by the philosophies of the world. Now, let's be careful, of course, when he says the world, when I say the world, I'm not saying it's just like everybody else. I'm saying a philosophy that's dominated by sin. That is to say, a philosophy, a way of life that's outside of the light of redemption that Jesus came to bring us on the cross. We Christians, we walk in the light of redemption. We walk in the light of Christ crucified. And so we have a different way of seeing the world, one of faith, right? And where we believe and receive this light coming from God. And so we need to walk in that light. If you don't, well, then you'll just treat leadership like as if the world was defining the way that you lead. And that's what's so important, the message I want to give you. You are called to lead in the world, right? But you're not called to lead in the same way as everyone else. You are agents of Christ, there in his society, there in your business, there in your social settings, there in your family, agents of Christ, your instruments of Christ that he will use and deploy for his glory and for the best of our fellow people, human beings. So if we follow Jesus, we end up serving in the best of ways. Right? So this is why the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22 is such an important one for us. Matthew 22, 1 to 14 says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. All right, does this ever sound familiar, right? God makes an invitation again and again to his servants, come to be with me. Now, of course, who are his servants? That's you. You, you are his servants. You are the agents of Christ in the world. You're the ones that he sent as members of his body into the world. Are you ready to come to the wedding feast that God himself has made? The mass, for example, prayer time, reading your Bible, spending time on the Sabbath, praying your rosary. Are, are, are you ready for that? Do you want to come to the wedding feast to be with God? Well, a lot of us are just like what happens in the parable. Right? He, said, he said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. And look where they go. One to his field, another to his business. Well, they go exactly where we go, to the sources of our economy. 
to where we can make the money that we need or the money that we want, right? Our business, our field, tending to our possessions, tending to, you know, it's the same today as it was then. It's really, really hard to make time for God. But you see, what happens is that they didn't just go off to their field and business in the parable. They went even further. It says, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. All right, so it's pretty obvious that this was not the right decision, right? To avoid going to God because it goes from ignoring him to then being hostile to him. And that's the great lesson Jesus is telling us here. And it's an important one for all of us because I met most people that they're fine with just, I'm just going to put it off a little bit. I don't need to really prioritize God. There's not, it's not a big deal. I love God. God loves me. Let's go forward with life. And I'd say, well, yes, for now. But remember that you go downward on the slope when you're not going upward. And what that slope looks like, it looks like being a saint, being fervent, right? That's the top. And then going from there to being benevolent towards God, kindly disposed towards him, right? And from there going down to be more or less neutral and from there going down to be hostile to him. And that's exactly what will happen in our own life. That's why God invites us to the wedding feast so that we remember that every time we encounter him in prayer, every time we read our Bible with him alone, when we, when we engage our faith, but we're touching the ultimate why for everything else that we do. This is the purpose, the end goal. This is the, the source of the love that drives us in our businesses. And without that touch point in faith where we stop and we adore the living God, well, we'll start to slide backwards. And it goes from, again, being benevolent to being hostile. And we see that right here in this parable. It's a great warning for us. The only way to stay spiritual in our leadership is to stay spiritual in our faith. And we stay spiritual in our faith by exercising the Spirit in prayer. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. You know, the, the most important thing for us to get out of these parables that we're studying with Jesus here, I think it's that we, we need to become spiritual in our leadership. Like leadership is, of course, influence, the ability to influence other people. And the study of leadership or development of leadership is studying and developing our ability to influence people. But that influence can go, well, it can go in different directions, of course. You have leaders who do leadership towards bad things and leadership who do leadership towards good things, right? And of course, only the ones who lead towards the good things are really worthy of the, the name leader. And Christian leadership is always towards that, that development, that good thing. And in a way, if you're leading towards what is bad, well, it's almost like an anti kind of leadership. But we still understand the same dynamics are at play. Communication, relationship building, you know, gratification, reward, legislation, uh, unity of a sort, you know, and so the anti-leader will in the end unravel in the leadership because leadership towards bad is, is always defeating. But we can still understand that it's imperative for us to constantly stay on the edge of what is good and where God is in our life in order to do the leadership that we want towards the good, right? So this is where the parables come in. 
And, and one of the parables that's really keen for us is, of course, Luke chapter 16, the parable of the rich man of Lazarus. This is Luke 16, uh, starting at verse 19. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who fe feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Okay, so it's a pretty obvious scene, right? We understand this. There's a rich man who does not share his goodness with the poor man who's laying at his gate and the poor man who has nothing but suffering in his life. And when they die, their roles are reversed, right? That God comforts the poor one and the rich one who didn't comfort his brother is then, is then in torment. Well, what's more, at the, towards the end of the parable, it gets even more interesting because the rich man ends up begging Father Abraham. He says, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Right? This is amazing. Again, this is coming right from the Lord, teaching you know, the, the disciples about the dangers that come from wealth. Now, we, we understand that there's not a problem with having wealth. The problem is when your wealth has you, right? Like, are you still free in the midst of your possessions to do the good that is in your heart? Are you still able to be moved by the Holy Spirit and, or, and to be free from these so that you can do good with them and especially put them at the service of those who are less fortunate, of the poor? I mean, in the end, it's a very simple message, right? And it's one that we, we all know instinctively. It's one of the things we're aware of. The more successful that we are on earth, the greater our responsibility towards those who are less fortunate. And most of you do this. This is what's amazing. I'm, I'm always touched to see just how engaged Christian believers are in taking care of, of others and in charitable giving. I mean, in general, Americans that I've met and, and frequented are very, are very generous people. And they use their advantage in, for the good of others. But the challenge is to not take that for granted. And if you're not doing it, to start to do it. Because the, the parable is kind of stunning in that you have this man who, because he neglects the obvious needs of those who are right at his gate, who ends up being, being punished in the end. And what that looks like, well, we, of course, you know, don't, don't know what that looks like in truth, but we, it's a very clear image in the parable of that this is not something that God's going to reward. He instead commands the rich man to listen to Moses and the prophets, right? And what do Moses and the prophets say? Both, both Moses and the prophets, that's the law, the first five books in the Bible, and the, all the books of the prophets, they point us to the fact that when we focus on God and put God in his place as the number one in our life, well, then we understand that every good thing that we have comes from him and should be used at his service. And that then God, of course, instructs us through the prophets, through Moses, that the way to serve him best 
is by taking care of our brothers and sisters. And of course, it, this, this does mean financially, of course, but it also means doing it from the heart. I mean, who has God laid near your gate who needs your attention, your help, your time? I mean, who in your family is on, is on the outs and could use a lift from you? Now, now again, I'm, of course, it means financially, but it doesn't just mean financially. It also means like a phone call, a caring letter, um, taking the time to express what they mean to you. This is a very important thing for us not to neglect because on the one hand, we could neglect the, the obvious need, which is you know financial, economic benefits to those who are without, but it also means that people need love even more than they need money. The, the, the recognition of their dignity, calling them by name, when you look at the phenomenon of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, for example, and just what an impact she made everywhere she went, and you ask, why was Mother Teresa so impactful everywhere she went? Doesn't the answer lie in the fact that everywhere she went, she smiled, and she summoned people to love one another, right? She gave them the dignity of attention. And I like to think this is exactly the same thing we can do. How do we treat the people who work for us? How do we treat the families that, that are around us? You know, what's our general attitude when we go to church, for example? Do we recognize the people that are there? Do we say hello? Do we volunteer there? Are we, are we giving of ourselves? Right? And, and the, the, of course, we're going to say, well, we didn't have time. We were so busy doing the things that belong to our state and society, which is, of course, not a bad thing. It's even a necessary thing. It's just that had we really no time at all to notice the one covered with sores who was laying at our gate. And, and I think our Lord here in the parable is saying, no, you do have time, and I do expect this of you. And when we do that, what happens? Our leadership in the world becomes real because it becomes infused with God. Where there is love, there is God. And if he's given me the role of influence in my house, in my family, in my society, well, I think he's given me that so that I could make him present. I can lead from the Spirit. And this is what he wants from us more than anything else. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. Well, I hope you're all enjoying this uh, little study on the parables that we're doing. I think, I think it's really neat because it's part of the little jewels that are in Scripture that we don't usually spend a lot of time on. And yet they're fascinating. There's about 40 of them in total spread through the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they just, they cover a whole variety of things. And today I'm focusing on you just on three parables where Jesus seems to give us a real warning, like that your leadership shouldn't be taken for granted. He's given us leadership, but if we're not careful with it, well, we could, we could let it fall, right? So on the one hand, you have the first parable where the king sends out his servants to people saying, come to my wedding feast. They refuse and they beat the serv king's servants and then it ends badly for them. And so the, the parable is a pretty simple one, right? Put God first. Allow yourself to rest in God in prayer. The second parable that we looked at was the parable of, of Lazarus and the rich man. 
And the rich man who ignores his brother's needs, even though he has the means to help him. And then when they die, their rules are reversed. And the, the poor man is in, is in paradise and the rich man is in torment, right? And so the warning is, listen to Moses and the prophets. Let God's teaching to fold your benefits and your wealth under to lift up the less fortunate is something that we have to heed, right? There's a third parable that I want to look at with you. And this one today is in Luke 12, verse 13 to 21. It's all about greed. And I just got to say, we got to remember that the Bible tells us that all evil is rooted in the love of money. It's one of the lessons in scripture. You, I mean, it's obviously very simplistic. You can't just make it all about that. And some people do. And it's, it's you know, evil is a very complicated kind of thing. But there's a line anyway, right, which is important for us to remember, putting us at, at warning about the real dangers that greed uh, has in our life. And I kind of chuckle myself a little bit because as a priest, I don't think I have ever heard a homily about greed. I don't know how many of you have heard a homily about greed and the dangers of greed. Uh, we've heard homilies about different things in economics, social justice, but just about greed. And it's very important because greed affects everyone. Where, where greed is rooted, it's rooted in our desire for things. But things is something that can be defined in very broad terms, right? We can be greedy for more attention, greedy for more power, greedy for the approval of others. We can be greedy about our space and our homes. We can be greedy about our time, right? We can be greedy about a lot of different things. And, and, and we got to be careful about that. Now, in the Bible, it specifically says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so it focuses us on a specific form of greed, which is the greed for, for money. Now, it's interesting, going back to this, Aristotle will develop this. And Aristotle will say that, that money is a means to an end. So it's never the end in itself. And this is where the parable comes in uh, that we're going to be reading about because the man who does this parable, and this is Luke 13, is obviously a fool because he thinks that his, his worth is found in what he owns. But everything that he owns is only a means to the end. So he's stopping short. Instead of living a full life, which is, of course, in love, in relationship, in service, in adoration of God, in a surrender of our spirit into the highest of things, he stops short. And this is where, where Christ you know, warns us that we can do the same thing if we're not careful. Okay, and so we read in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. All right, so, I mean, it's obvious where, where this is going. But at the same time, isn't it a clever, isn't it clever to see our Lord watching people do this? 
and just giving us a very simple answer. You know, we, he, he's watching people as he walked around the earth, building a barn, building another one just to store their things because they think that in their things, they have value. They have their personal value. And he's reminding them, no, 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 wait, you've got more than the body. You've got to, you've got the soul. And it says in the body can be rich in things that are attached to it. You know, we could have our ski dues and our boat and our sailboat and the house in which we put our boat. Then we can have another one if we want. We can also have a paddle boat. We can have paddle boards. We can keep doing these things. And there's no problem, problem with that. There's, it's, the problem is not that you have things. The problem is when your things have you, right? And, and that's exactly what he's saying here. The man says to himself, all right, well, since I have many things, I am now okay. And God says, he calls him a fool, right? Which is obviously something to pay attention to. You're wrong because you have many things for the body, but you are not rich in the things of the soul. In other words, you've stopped short. You think that your value is in your possessions, but there's more to you than the body that can possess things. There's the soul which can be given away. There's love that's present deep down inside of you. And what are you doing with your soul? And of course, we look around and we say, well, I mean, I thought it was my stuff that made me who I was. And God says, no, you're a fool. It's what you have on the inside that makes you who you are. And then you use the things that you have on the outside, well, to bring the values that you possess on your inside out and to share them with others. And of course, to bring other people up and to bring them closer to me, to his God. You're supposed to use the things of this world more than you love them. And you're supposed to love the things of God more than you use them. And if we're not careful, where greed will come in to constantly make us want to be able to do more. This is what money is in, in the Aristotelian sense of the term. He speaks about money as a means, right? Which means if I have more of it, I can do more. Yeah, you, you can do more on the outside. But in fact, you don't need money to do things on the inside. You need love. And your money can't buy you love. And in the end, when you die, you can't take your money with you. Jesus even says it right there. When you die, whose will all your possessions be? But I'll tell you what you can keep when you die. You can keep everything that you gave away, right? At the end of our life, all of us will be forced to become poor. We won't have anything on the outside. And all that we will have is who we are on the inside. The love that we have on the inside, that we get to keep, which means to be rich in the things of God, means to become rich in the things of love. Being rich in love means that the influence that we share is God, and that is not a bad legacy to leave behind. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.